Hello, everybody. We just want you to know that it's very cold. Right, Amber? Yeah. We're dying. We're not going to make it. There's like a foot of snow outside right now. And this sucks. But we're here. We had a show. Well, we had an interview scheduled for tonight. And we didn't let the weather stop us from doing our work. Apparently, the rest of the state, though, decided to just close down. But we decided to work tonight. Right, Amber? Right. Because we care. We care. We talked to Dr. Michael Bays tonight. Amber, tell us all about Dr. Michael Bays. Dr. Michael is a board-certified ear, nose, and throat specialist, integrative physician, speaker, and educator to surgeons in training. He enjoys working with the brilliant young doctors he mentors and the veteran patrons they treat. In addition to being trained in traditional Western medicine and surgery, Michael is a graduate of the University of Arizona's Fellowship in Integrative Medicine and spent over a decade studying shamanism and other indigenous healing modalities. As a husband, father of two boys, and a grandfather, his passion is teaching young people through examples based on personal experience mixed with wit and wisdom gleaned from overcoming a lifetime of mistakes, facing his demons, and achieving success and fulfillment. He does a show with his brother Patrick called The Hollow Tube Podcast. You can check that show out at thehollowtube.com. Please enjoy our discussion with Dr. Michael Bays. Tell us about the Hollow Two podcast, Michael. I want to know all about this. Uh, you obviously do this with you and with, with your brother, uh, Dr. Patrick Bays. Am I correct? Correct. Uh, my brother Pat is an orthopedic surgeon who lives in Seattle, and the Hollow Two podcast. The conception for it began one summer up in Seattle. Typically, I take my 18 year old boy, he's 18 now, year old, he's 18 years old now, Parker, up to Seattle to see my brother Pat every summer. It's like our annual trip. Okay. And typically what we do is we sit on his back deck and he's got this beautiful architectural digest house on Bainbridge Island. Mm. And we look out at the Puget Sound every day and watch the cruise ships and the freighters and the sailboats go by and occasionally spot an orca or an eagle. And we download advice to my son, Parker. And one day we got the idea, hey, wouldn't it be great if we somehow recorded this? And because we're both successful in life. Yeah. And but to to have a high quality of life to to live an extraordinary life you have to master two things you have to master the science of success and the art of fulfillment now the science of success is easy it's a formula and it applies to everything if you wanted to learn to throw the shot put in track if you wanted to learn to be 
a master at the piano, if you wanted to go to medical school, if you wanted to be an entrepreneur, the same formula applies. But what happened to me one time when I was 40 is that I had mastered the science of success, but I had never mastered the art of fulfillment. As a matter of fact, I failed the art of fulfillment. I had a successful medical practice. I was chief of surgery on the board of directors at our local hospital. Yeah. I was married to a beautiful woman, a professional singer who used to sing uh, with country music legend Mickey Gilley back in the day. Mm. And one day I found myself on my back deck watching the sunset, drinking a glass of wine and considering my options. And those options were take a swim and drown myself, drive off a bridge or give myself a lethal injection. And the reason wow. was is because Casey, my wife, uh, <clears throat> had left with the boys, my son Parker and my stepson Austin. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at my life and realizing that I'd basically failed as a as a husband, as a dad, as a father, and even as a doctor because I was burned out at that time. And it was in that moment that I realized that I was lost. And I made a call to my mom and she put me on the right track and I started taking steps to first quit making my life worse and then starting to make steps to put my life back together and then master the art of fulfillment, which ultimately comes from contribution and personal growth. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. what we tried to impart to Parker and the people on our podcast is mastering those those two master skills. And one day I was searching for some answers and I ran across this book about Frank Fullscrow, who was considered to be the last of the Lakota holy men. And he died in 1989 at the age of 99. And he talked about this concept called the hollow tube, the hollow bone. He called it the hollow bone and we sort of appropriate it. Okay. And when you are a hollow bone, basically you're as though you're a, you're a pipe and water is flowing freely through you. And he became a hollow bone when he would perform these miraculous healings. And he said, by removing all these self-doubts and these insecurities and basically this narrative that we're not enough, we're not good enough, taking all of those things out of yourself and allowing this, this field, this, this ever-present field of wakantanka, which is another word for God, and using the helper spirits around you that you're able to do miraculous things. And we liked that concept and we kept it. And our motto is we empty ourselves so that we can be filled. You know, it's it, everything you talked about here. It's something that I it's a, it's a subject that comes up a lot with me and my circle of friends and, and in my life. Also, um, I, I think I know I can probably name you off a dozen people that you wouldn't know, obviously, but I could probably name you off a dozen people that that are all very successful very successful people they have amazing careers uh they have you know big beautiful homes they have everything they've ever wanted in life anything they ever dreamed of they have it but i can tell and i mean not only tell but i've had conversations with these exact very people too that they're they're not happy they don't feel fulfilled 
uh, and it's exactly what you're talking about. I think there, and I've, I've thought for a long time that there's a lot of very successful people, but I think there's, but there's a lot less happy people. I think people that feel fulfilled, like you're talking about. I mean, uh, is that how you feel too? Yeah, exactly. And it, it happens in a lot of high performers. And I think part of the reason is, is because we get our whole identity wrapped up into our next goal or our success. And I have traveled to South America. I have spent <clears throat> considerable time with a shaman friend of mine. His name's Jose. His shamanic name is Baronet. Mm -hmm. And in travels to Colombia, South America and Ecuador, I've seen people with living with next to nothing. And they seem to be the happiest people that I've ever seen. So I've always wondered, what is it about them and their mindset that makes them so happy? Yeah. And what I do in my life is I try to study people that are not only successful, but happy and successful and I'm sort of a copier. I try to copy what they do as much as it applies to me in my life. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. Uh, one of the things that I can totally identify with this, and there's a, there's a couple of examples. And I was thinking about this as you were talking a second ago. Uh, a couple summers ago, my friend, now this is about three, four years ago, my friend was uh, decided to go back to college. He's a little older than I am, but he decided to go back to college. Uh, he was one of them kind of in the same spot. You know, he... He had goals he wanted to make, and he wasn't happy. And he um, moved out to this college he went to. And I remember going out there, and I he showed me his apartment, right? And when I walked in there, he literally lived in just this little studio apartment. He, he sold off just about all of his belongings to make this move to this town to go to school again. He sold his house. He sold everything. And he was living in just this little like 500 square foot studio apartment, you know, with a, with a bathroom and that's pretty much it. Everything else is wide. It's a studio apartment. Barren. Yeah. Barren. And I walked in there and it blew my mind, Michael. I was so excited to see this. And he's like, he's like, well, yeah, I know it's not much. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is incredible. I own two houses. I have all this crap I got to deal with. And all you have to do, you can clean this place in five minutes. I mean, exactly. I'm talking, you could do everything in five minutes. Everything is so simplified for you now. And I could tell, you know, even though he had the stressors of, you know, getting, you know, go, going for this new goal, I could tell that he was much happier that he made the change he had to make to, you know, not only better his life, but I think simplify his life also. The more you own, the more it owns you. And we go through life thinking, and I did this. This is a trap that I fell into. And this is all part of the narrative that we tell ourselves that builds up over time since the time we were, when, when we were infants, is that I will be happy when. I'll be happy when I make the team. I'll be happy when I finally graduate from high school and get out of here. I'll be happy yeah. when I go to college. I'll be happy when I go to medical school. I'll be happy when I big the, buy the big house or the, the nice car. Yeah. I mean, I used to have a Jaguar, a BMW, and a Harley in the garage <laughs> and the big house on the lake. And despite all that, I was still miserable. I, you know, and the thing about that, too, it's when you what you were just saying also, this idea of attaining goals uh, or, or I won't be happy until this. I won't be happy until that. Uh, I think careers are goal driven. Well, I don't think I know most people's careers are goal driven. 
I think our society is goal driven. Yeah, yeah. Uh, working, especially people. Sometimes, and I understand this. It's not how I live, but I understand that a lot of people. All they really have is their working life. They don't really have anything else. It's not because they're bad people. It's just because that's the only thing they can really connect with and become emotionally invested with. They don't. They don't understand art, or they don't want to create art, or they don't want to, you know, like do podcasts or, or anything, right? Uh, all they can really, all their, they, the only thing they really understand for output or what they can output into is, is their work, and that's their identity. And that was, I know myself. It was my identity for a number of years. All I was was what I did for a living. Exactly. I, I learned, Same here. I, you know, I learned that even though, you know, I'm very dedicated to what I do. I mean, I, I appreciate my career. I feel blessed having the career that I have uh, and being able to, you know, be, be successful in my own right also. Uh, but I got to a point where I was like, this is not going to be my identity anymore. I can't make every goal at work. And I mean, it was, I mean, it was, it was altering my mood. It made me a different person. Uh, I know Amber, who we've been together for 15 years now. It was, I remember we were having dinner one night and she told me when I left where I was at and I made a change, she, she said, she's like, I like you better now. I really do like you a lot better now. You're, you're not as mean of a person. <laughs> so, you know, you, that, you, that's exactly the same condition I was. And it took, sometimes it takes these traumatic events to totally crush our ego. It's almost like a plot point in a movie, such as, remember Dr. Strange? And he was this fantastic neurosurgeon and had all the gadgets and the watches and the fast car. And it wasn't until he drove off the cliff and broke every bone in his body that he realized that this whole life that he had before was just some sort of a story that he made up for himself. Mm -hmm. And then he put himself back together. And that's the same exact thing that happened to me. And I'm thankful to say that Casey and I have been married 18 years this year. Um, Austin and Parker are doing great. Parker Mm -hmm. just got back from uh, touring Colorado State University, looking at track scholarships. Austin's uh, married and a dad. We have this grandbaby, Lincoln Lily, that runs out all over the place and keeps <laughs> us busy. And our lives have never been better. Yeah. I closed my practice in Branson, Missouri. And then I took a, a job at the VA in Tucson. And now I serve veterans. And what I do in my job on a daily basis is I mentor young surgeons and on, when I come home from work, everybody's happy. I don't make quite as much money as I used to. Probably about half is what is I, what I used to. And I've never been happier in my life. It's funny. Another aspect of this, though, that I, that I learned uh, just recently was um, I had a lot of changes happen uh, in December of last year. Um, I was talking about property a few minutes ago. Well, I ended up selling a piece of property and then um, some other events in my life that kind of altered, it changed my life. Uh, How it changed my life was for, it simplified things, right? It it made things a lot less hectic in my life. Uh, The other thing was really sad, but it was something that had to happen. And both of these events that happened that kind of changed things, they were both game changers uh, they, they totally made things a lot quieter. I didn't, I, I'm not as busy nowadays as I was before. 
but what I found really interesting about that, and I'm still trying to adjust to this, Michael, is I'm trying to under, I was in this mode of go, 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 go. When it comes to these things, it was all I was doing. And more, 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 more. It, well, yeah, more, more. I mean, it's just trying to keep up. Right. And once these things were gone and this was only a month ago, um, I w- I'm trying, I mean, all I'm trying to do now is just adjust to the fact that I don't have all this extra stuff to do anymore. And that's, that's a, that's a challenging thing in its own right. I, you'd think that it'd be said, well, I don't have to do this anymore. It's really easy. But when your mind is programmed over, you know, almost two decades that you're dealing with something all the time, it's to very stay busy all the time. Yeah, It's, it's very, it's very difficult to, you know, realign yourself and say, no, I need to slow down a little bit now. And I've been trying to do that even more so in the last month is, okay, it's the weekend, sit down and watch a movie, sit down and just kind of unwind a little bit, sit down and listen to a record, just let your mind go, don't don't think that you have to be busy all the time. So that's a, that's a challenge in its own right, I think, for, to even simplify your life. I don't think it's as easy as people think it is, is just stop being busy all the time. No, because that, that, when that's all you're doing for 20 years, in a lot of people's cases, sometimes longer... That's all you know. You don't know how to not be busy. You don't know how to not be driving and going all the time. That can be as, I think that can be as difficult as being motivated to do more with your life, I think. Yeah. Sometimes we get so busy, and I think we do it just because we're sort of on automatic pilot, and we're responding to this external environment without actually having the awareness. And I think that's key on this pathway. We have to have the awareness to know when it's time to slow down to be able to really truly appreciate what's going on around us and to truly appreciate our family and the things that we have as opposed to scrambling around trying to get more and more and more. Busy is kind of a cop-out. When people say that I'm so busy, I'm so busy, that, that just sort of sets wrong with me. It just seems like they're just really not appreciating their life. At least that's how it was for me, looking back on it. Well, I know me and all my friends, I'm sure you've heard this also. Well, why don't we ever get together and hang out? Well, I'm just so busy right now. I'm so busy. And I know I've done the exact same thing. I, I've said the same thing to people. Like, look, I'm really busy right now. I think there, when you do get free time, especially now at this point in my life, at least, I think when you do get some free time, a lot of times I just want to sit by myself. <laughs> I don't want to have yeah. to deal with people. Uh, but I think the, what to your point, though, um, I think that people using that excuse, well, I'm, I'm very busy. I'm too busy to do this. I think that if you really want, and it's the old saying, like we both know, if you really wanted to spend time with that person or do that thing, you'd make the time for it. It wouldn't be, I agree. it wouldn't be something that you'd have to go, well, I, you know, we'll have to put it in the Rolodex or figure something on the calendar or figure something out. It'd be something you just want to do. Right. And I'm guilty of that. And I think that's another part of it is that we just have to we have to go easy on ourselves a little bit and not beat ourselves up for forgetting to call that friend and ju- it, just be aware of it. And sooner or later, you'll call that person if it's really meaningful to you. And I think that's the thing that I was thinking about a lot. Like before we did this podcast, I was starting to think about, I mean, how did I get my life put back together after all that. And the first thing that you have to do in any given situation is to realize that you're lost 
And then you're just responding to the world and all these external stimuli going on. You're the, all the bells and whistles of life. And it's almost like we're in reaction mode. With We're totally unconscious without being fully aware and present at all. And I think once you reach awareness, the state of awareness that what is going on, what's going on with my life, that you, you come to make three decisions. And one is what am I going to focus on? And what am I going to do next? And what does this mean? And I think those are the same three decisions that we have to ask at, at, at every fork in the road. And I think that we're all on the same path. I, I truly believe that we're all on the same path. And this path begins when we're born, the day we're born, and it ends on our deathbed. Mm-hmm. And I know it sounds morbid to say that, but it truly came home for me when I, I moved from Branson to Tucson and shortly thereafter, my mom was diagnosed with lung cancer mm. and she never smoked a day in her life. And by the time they caught it, it was in, uh, inoperable. They oh, treated God. her with chemo radiation, which didn't work. And then yeah. she was put into home hospice. Oh. And there was a day when I was at work and this is, I think it was back in 2012 there was a day I was at work getting ready to do a surgery and I got a call from the hospice nurse and she said, your mom said that she's ready to go. So I had one of the other surgeons fill in for me to do the case and I got there and my mom was on her deathbed. Yeah. And it, it occurred to me as I was sitting with her that this is it. I mean, everything that had led up to this point for better or worse, there's no fixing anything at that point in time. There's no making anything better. You're just waiting for that transition to yeah. whatever comes next. And everything's so final in those moments, too. Like every, It's so final. You know, there's no more fighting. There's yeah. no more nothing. All you can do is just accept this moment and then wait for the inevitable. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so, everything you do around that, too. I mean, I, I this is, uh, you know, I've had... A lot of family. I've lost a handful of family in the last couple of years, and I've thought about just those things too. Like everything that happens around that, all them little moments you have around that, it's all so final. It's all just, and it's all everything's burnt, final. It's all burnt into into time then, or some. I mean, something like that. If you know what I'm saying, I mean, everything that happens I around totally that is agree. so final. You know, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, feel more than welcome to interject. Okay. So this path that we're on. The first thing that we need to do to to get on the path is to realize that we're lost. And that's the phase that I was in. You have to have the awareness that you're lost, that you're not on the path. And the second phase to actually be on the path is you have to have gratitude. You have to have gratitude for what you have in this moment right now and quit scrambling for more, quit running around to be busier and have gratitude. And I think once you get gratitude, then that's the beginning of the path. And the path ends with us on our deathbed, looking back at our life for better or worse and thinking, God, did I have a good life? Did I have a well-lived life? And I think that every step of the way, and even the, the Stoic philosophers like Marcus Aurelius, they said the same thing, that we have to look at that moment and look back at our life. And I've mentioned this to other people and they said, that's kind of morbid, but that's reality. I mean, you really have to look at that. And I think that our ultimate goal in life is to look back on our life and say that we have lived a well-lived life. 
And it's not going to have anything to do with how busy we were, how much money we accumulated, how many hours we spent watching Netflix, how many hours we spent watching YouTube videos. It's going to be about the people that you helped and impacted along the way. You know, and, and again, that, that those mo- moments are, and everything you said is just, I, I agree 100% with. I, I don't, I think, you know, and you can't be in someone's mind. Uh, my grandmother passed away a couple of years ago now, a little over a couple of years ago, and I was there. We were there when, when she passed away. We were right there when she passed on. And that was something that I, I had a couple of things happen to me at that time. I, was, I had that thought go through my mind that we're talking about, like, what is she thinking right now? Is she, is she reflecting? Or is she just, you know, is she just in pain right now? Because she was in some pain and they were, the doctors were doing what they could, they could to make her comfortable. So I was asking that question, like, is she actually able to reflect? Is her mind clear enough for her to be able to reflect? Or is it just clouded with pain? I also, uh, myself, being in that moment too, and this may sound a bit morbid, being in that moment with my grandmother and my father there and the rest of my family, my mother and my sister, I, I tried to put myself on the outside of that experience. I, I tried to put myself outside of that, outside of my own grief, outside of my own pain that I was feeling in that situation, and just tried to observe this process for what it was as objectively as I could. I That's a very good state to be in in that moment. I, I Well, that, you're the first person that said that. Most people just look at me like I have three heads. <laughs> so I'm glad, I'm glad to hear someone thinks it's okay. I, but that's what I honestly tried to do. Uh, I, I mean, of course, I, I didn't, I did, I, I suppose somebody would be able to say that that, well, you're just trying to escape from reality. You're just trying to escape from the situation. And that's not the truth. I was right there. And that grief was there with me too. When I, and this was all I was trying to do was just some type, you know, obviously, because I have an interest in this type of stuff. I wanted to step back and use that opportunity to try to learn something. I, I can't say I, I, I tried to, again, I tried to look at it from the outside in. And I think it's, that's easier said than done. Because uh, I think the grief just overcome me. I mean, it, yeah. it, it, it's, it's easier said than done to do that. But it was something that I was conscious of, though, at least, I think. I, was I think what happened that. in that moment, if you don't mind me interjecting, yeah, is that yeah, sure. you were supremely present. You were totally present with everything that was going on around you. You were aware of what was happening. You were aware of your grief. Yeah. And you were just saying, well, we're, we're doing this right now. I'm, I'm feeling grief. I'm feeling this pain. I'm feeling this sorrow. And that's what we should strive for as much as we possibly can in every moment of our lives. Well, I think a lot of people, a lot of these heavy moments I've noticed, at least in my life, I've approached a lot of these moments with that same idea. Like, I want to, look, this is something that everybody has to go through in life. And it's your turn now, Scott. That's like the thought process. Now it's my turn to go through whatever it may be. But I always like to observe that, again, from the outside in as much as I can. As I said, we have to, I mean, you're going to be a part of whatever it may be. It may be an emotional thing. It may be a business thing. Who knows? But 
I've always tried to observe those things from the outside uh, to try to get a different perspective on things while still being, as I've said already, you know, within that. And I, I guess that is a healthy thing to do that. It's, I think it's self-reflecting in a certain way too. Uh, I think there's, and that's to me, you know, and we're kind of covering a lot of different ideas here, but I think one of the big things you have in life that I always tell people that they need to do is you need to be constantly self-reflecting. I think that's something as a person you need to be doing all the time is is reflection and introspection. And trying, I 100% agree. Yeah. The, the, the unexamined life is not worth living. Oh, man. That's so true. I mean, that's, that's what I keep telling people all the time. Uh, people have problems. You know, we, we both know this. We know people that have issues. And I've talked to people. They're like, well, man, this and that. And I'm like, well... What about you? Have you sat down and thought it over and said, because, you know, I'm hearing a lot of, I call them the yeah buts and the what ifs, you know, the, you know, the yeah buts, but I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I'm like, you're deflecting, man. You need to sit down and look at this thing with a very honest eye from yourself and see that, you know, a lot of it may be on you in some situations, but it's just, that's just one example uh, of this introspection. I think a lot of people don't do too much. I think people are distracted. We've said this a lot on this show. I think a lot of people are very distracted these days. It's, it's very easy to be distracted. I mean, these are, are, are and we've talked about our, our smartphones plenty on this show. And it's so easy just to get sidelined on that. It's happened to me. I, I don't know about you, Michael, but it's happened to me. Go ahead. Trust me, it's a constant battle. The, 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 the owner of Netflix I mean, I don't know if you've ever binged on Netflix, oh, God, but yeah. <laughs> the, the owner of Netflix has stated, the CEO, that his two main competitors are sleep and YouTube. Oh my and we, we all know how it is that we binge on these programs. And I did it recently. I was going through a slump and then I started getting into this uh this uh, foreign t- this foreign series, and by w- by the time I realized what I was doing, I had blown twenty hours on that thing, and I, I and then I said, "That's it, that's enough." Yeah, I didn't even watch the finale, and mm-hmm. I got back to work. And I think we do that a lot when we're not creating, we're not, when we're when we are not actually producing something, either a podcast or writing or teaching or singing or practicing our music or practicing our craft. I think that's what happens when we are not actively creating. It's almost like there's this force out there that's trying to keep us from bringing something beautiful into the world and is trying to keep us down with these external distractions. I think when it comes to the, the, the binge watching and stuff like that, I've never quite understood it. Now I, and I have done the same thing myself. Uh, I have friends, though, that that's their hobby. They will go home from work or whatever whatever responsibilities they have, and they are banging through whatever series there may be. And, the, and when they're not watching that, they're on the Internet arguing about it with people. <laughs> so right. it's like all their free time is tied up with this se- whatever series they're, they're watching. My issue with that, is from a time perspective has been, and that even goes with like TV shows. Like, you know, you get the, 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 the big TV show uh, and every week you got to watch it, which, yeah. which gives me anxiety. Game of Thrones. Yeah. Game of Thrones is a good example right there. Uh, so 
I, that drives me crazy as it is. I guess that's what that's what makes the whole binge watching thing kind of attractive to people because you can just watch it. You don't have to wait every week. But, I think everything's okay every now and then, but you got to watch it when it just be, sort of becomes your way of life. And that that's what's happened to me in the past. I used to come home from work and put on my favorite TV show and have a glass or four of wine. And that was it. I just wanted to check out and just, it's almost like you get, it is like you get hypnotized. You're just hypnotized and your mind is shut down and the rest of the world is just shut out. You just have no awareness of anything going on around you. Yeah, well, and to, but my thing, and this is, again, this whole observation thing we're talking about, I observe this and, I, and I've looked at that. I'm like, well, if I watch this, like, like you said, if I watch this, this is going to be like 20 or 30 hours of my time. That's a lot for me to sit down and try to take in. And it, for me, like every once in a while, there'll be something that I, that, that really piques my interest. I'll see on there and I'll be like, you know what? I'm going to, I got some free time here. I'm going to watch an episode a night for a week or so or whatever it takes to get it done. And I, I've always enjoyed it, but to the point, I think it's a big distraction for people. And I think what you said exactly hits the, it hits the nail on the head when you're sitting there just watching stuff. I mean, it's art too. And you got to appreciate art. I, 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 I really, I, that's what I like to do is appreciate art as much as I can. But I think you could be spending your time creating, like you said, and we've been saying that for years to people like, well, you know, if you don't like what we do, then do something for your on your own. Do your own thing. If you if you want to do something, make your own podcast, you know, make your own art, whatever it may be, whatever moves you. That's what you should do. Uh, and I, I, a lot of people take that cue. I think there I think we live in a different world now where people there are a lot more people with the with the, the invention of the Internet. Uh, and especially the last 10 years, people are, are are able to do a lot of stuff with things like YouTube, obviously, uh, with just doing podcasts and things like that. People are allowed to be creative a lot more, I think. And I think a lot more people are are producing stuff, as you said, too. So I think that's a good thing. Yeah, we're creating instead of just receiving. We're We're putting something out that's a part of ourselves than rather just our brains receiving input put out by some other entity. And Frank Fullscrow talked about the same thing. That's part of being a hollow bone is just letting go of those things or at least being aware that they're happening. And before he would do his healings, he would he would just pull out all his negative negativity. And he said, anybody can do what I do. You just got to live the way I live. And he said, people get hung up on Whatever your addiction is, drugs, alcohol, shopping, eating, Netflix, uh, the cell phone. Mm -hmm. And if you just are aware of those things and how much time you're really spending on them, and it's okay every now and then, but always be thinking back, like, what what kind of a legacy am I going to leave when I leave this world? Yeah. Now, we, we sidelined. We went way into the weeds here, Michael. We were talking Where about are we supposed you. to be? Well, we were talking about your mother. And I, right. I think it was my fault. I apologize. I took us way off in the left field here. But we were talking about your mother. Yes. Um, well, let me tell you another story. Since this is a talk about ghosts, and I have never personally seen a ghost. Okay. But I have had... had I don't know, spiritual experiences. And maybe this applies. 
the day after the morning after my mom died and I went up to this sacred hill in Southern Arizona where I actually went up there with my mom several months earlier to proclaim, make this proclamation and start saying this prayer every day at sunrise that my shaman friend Jose taught me. And the, the, the prayer was basically an affirmation that I was going to say every day at sunrise as the sun came up, uh, basically saying this this is this is it i'm going to walk through life with gratitude awareness and and intensity and with passion and i had my mom go up with me before she really got sick and i think coaches and geronimo used to actually roam those hills i went up there at sunrise the morning after my mom died and i waited for the sun to come up and I swear to God, it was one of the most beautiful, glorious sunrises I had ever experienced in my life. Like every color that you could imagine in the rainbow, the yellows, the oranges, the purples, the reds, the pinks. And I really felt in that moment, it was almost like my mom had crossed to the other side and she was being embraced by her ancestors in some sort of a celebration. And that was some ways that she would let me know that, and it was almost like the ancestors were gathering all their energy to make yeah. whatever changes they could make in the atmosphere to create this, this beautiful sunrise, that they were letting me know that she was okay, that she had passed on and it was a celebration. And that's, I think we all, I, I've seen stuff like that. You know, we were talking about, um, well, I mean, I've seen the same type of things in my life when I've, when I've had relatives go, I've had weird things happen when, uh, with, with passed on relatives. Um, we actually had a, you know, when it comes to someone, this just happened recently. This was just a couple weeks ago. And Amber, you remember this too. Uh, I, I put that post up on the Ghostly Talk page about I, I, this was years ago. Was this we, this was like in 2006, Michael. This this gentleman sent me uh, sent uh, in our PO box we used to have. He sent uh, this toy, uh, monster truck toy, because I like monster trucks and stuff. And he sent me this toy and said, "Hey, I know you like uh, th these things." And my mom used to work for Mattel. And I had this and I wanted to send it to you. And thanks for the show. I like listening to your show. And he, the letter said that, you know, he lost his mom and more or less was thanking us for getting us through some, some tough times with his, you know, after his mom passed away. I had kept that letter, right? And this is something we've been riffing on for, since it happened. I had kept that letter and that, that monster truck toy since that day. And that was like, what, 13 years ago almost now. I just kept it and I had it in my office and I was cleaning out my office a couple weeks ago and I come across this sitting on one of the shelves. I just had it on one of my display shelves and I forgot about it. So I'm like, wow, that's really cool. So I took a picture of it and put it up on the ghostly talk page and said, Hey, I come across this. This is really cool. I just wanted to put this out there. Well, lo and behold, the guy who, uh, who sent it to me, you know, with, with, you know, the social media makes the world very small. It seems like, and, this gentleman found it and said, oh, that's me. I sent that to you. He's like, do you know that the day you posted that up, that was my, that was my mother's birthday? And I, I can honestly say, Michael, 
I had no idea. I didn't even wow. know this guy barely. And that was like, we're like, what? He's like, yeah, it was my mom's birthday yesterday when you posted that up. That's and, incredible. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, all I can see, it's my word against the world. Like I, I say a lot. I had no idea when I, I never even met his mother. I had no idea. Uh, I never even met this guy. Honestly, he just accept this nice letter. He sent me in this toy, but you get those. And that's not even, that's not even with someone that I knew that wasn't even a relative of mine, but I like to think that maybe I did that. I was a part of some greater thing that I had to do that for a reason and maybe to help out this guy, his name was Chase, wasn't it, Amber? I don't remember. Chase, I think his name is Chase. Uh, I think maybe, I like to think that, well, I'd like, I hope to think that maybe he needed something at that time. And without me knowing it, the universe put me into motion and said, here, do this. You got to help this dude out. Uh, I haven't had a chance to really talk to me about, I really do want to have a conversation with this guy about that situation. But um, I like to think that, you know, you get put in places for a reason and I got put in that place where I saw that toy and took that picture and put it up on, on the Facebook page for a reason that day. But that was really strange to have somebody tell me that like I, that I, some, something so random, right? Michael, something so random like that. Uh, and that's I, quite a synchronicity. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the word I was thinking. I think synchronicity is when it comes to, with with death like this, I guess what we're you know we're talking about your mom and stuff like that. Synchronicity, I think I wouldn't even want to even say just with death, but I think heavily emotionally charged situations or relationships you have, synchronicity I think is a real key player in that. Do you follow what I'm saying? I th I always believe that synchronicity is a message from the universe that you're on the right path. What do you think about that? Well, that whatever you're doing, that, that, that ding that happens, that when you, when, when you notice that there's this synchronicity, it's, it's like, it's the universe is trying to get your attention and that whatever you're doing is trying to get you to wake up, and be aware of whatever's happening around you. Yeah. And in my case, in my experience, and you only know what you've experienced, but in my experience, every time I've had a synchronicity in my life, when I look back at those events, it, it, it almost invariably meant that whatever I was doing was in the right direction. I think what you just said, the, the main driver, I think, is something needs to be righted possibly that was, I don't mean right as in it was wronged. Uh, but you're like, if you're in a ship, you know, you may be going off to the wrong direction and something I think has to happen. And it, when it comes to the universe, like you're saying, right, something yeah. has to happen sometimes to wake you up, to wake yeah. you up and say, Oh, you know what? It, and that's what we go right back to this idea of, of introspection all the time. Um, yeah. You have to recognize these cues. I mean, and I don't pretend to know everything myself, but I'm watching those things. I pay a closer attention to those little cues. I think so. I think sending, you know, what I talked about with that gentleman with his mother, that's a pretty screaming loud. <laughs> that one to me was pretty. That's a cue. That, that's a massive cue. 
But there's, there's other things I've seen, I've experienced that I think were more subtle. And I picked up on them and I, I tried to learn from them. I think, but I think that that's that, again, that self-introspection type thing where you always got to be looking at that. And I think, I don't think, I'm not saying that I'm special. I don't think, I'm not saying that you're special or Amber's special or anything like that. But I think I may obsess over things like this a little bit more than the average person. Um, well, you're paying attention to it. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're aware of it. Yeah. And that's what Fool's Crow talked about. That's part of the hollow tube concept that the more aware we are and the less distracted we are and we let go of all these things, all these stories, all these attachments that are holding us down and clouding our minds. I mean, we, pre we perceive the entire world through our mind. Everything that comes into our senses is perceived through our mind, our brain, through neurotransmitters flowing through our brain. If we can just clean that stuff up, and clean up our lives, clean up our minds, and have clarity about us, then we are better able to be aware of and perceive these clues from the universe, these these signs, these symbols that are coming across our paths that, that tell us to, hey, take a look at this. Maybe it's the little breadcrumbs trying to lead you to your destiny in a way. Well, a lot of people call that the gut feeling. Yeah. Um, I got a gut feeling about this. And but I you can't feel that gut feeling if you're running around all the time busy at work and then coming home and doing like I did pouring a couple glasses of wine and binging on Netflix. <laughs> That's the opposite of your gut feeling. Yeah, it is. I think, you know, I think there's something to be said about people who are very much rooted though. Like what, what I would, what I would say is their feet are really on the ground. I, I know people, I work with people who are, they're very dedicated to their job they're very dedicated to, you know, just taking care of business. I think that's a great thing. I, I think that they can make some adjustments, but sometimes even I, I need somebody to write me in that aspect too. Um, sometimes my head get up, my, my head may go a little too far into the, not, I shouldn't say into the clouds, but sometimes I need somebody to say, dude, just, focus on what's going on right now because sometimes i i am thinking like well man what about the next 10 15 20 years from now i'm thinking about all this wild stuff all around me and i think sometimes you need to be in the moment though too uh do you follow what i'm saying with that michael yeah we're always in the moment and it, that's all we ever have is the the is the moment i mean that's that's a real popular thing that we hear nowadays stay stay in the moment stay in the moment and the, the thing about it is, is that all we ever have is this moment. And the, the, I think the key is, is just to be aware of the moment. And I think it's important to have goals and it's important to look into the future because otherwise, how are you going to plan for you and your family? How are you going to accomplish the things yeah. that you want to accomplish? But you don't let it overwhelm you. You don't let it overtake you. You don't have these attachments to it that are so great that you're filtering out everything else that's important to you in your life. Like Amber. Mm -hmm. We all need an Amber. I have a Casey. You have an Amber. Yeah. <laughs> and she said here just smiling like, oh, yes. Yes. He's 100% right on that. <laughs> no, it's it's. I think, and I think it is just that it's a self-introspection thing. You have to be watching all the time. You have to be paying attention, but yeah, you have to be, you have to be in the moment also. Now with yeah. your, now back, back to your mother though. You, I mean, the sunrise we talked about, 
Um, there was some other stuff that happened around this too, am I correct? You are correct. So there was a couple of different things. Shortly after my mom died, and I need to backtrack a little bit and let you know that my dad has advanced dementia. He's 84 with advanced dementia. And as my mom was di diagnosed, my father was also diagnosed with mild forms of dementia. And by the time she died in 2012, it was still mild, maybe getting into the mild to moderate region. And I don't know, perhaps it was about a week after she died. And I wasn't there, so I can't tell you 100% that this happened, but he swears it was true. And he talked about it for days and days and days. Um, he was in his room and the whole room lit up and he sat up in bed and he said that the image of my mom was sort of where the wall would meet the ceiling. And in whatever language he could describe, she was dressed very nicely. She looked very healthy. She was younger. Um, I forgot the color of the outfit. Probably if my brother Pat was here, he would probably remember. But he just said that she only said two things, George, I'm okay. And then that was it. That was the end of the vision. And it was, it was like this thing that he was excited about. And my dad is not the kind of guy that would have believed in ghosts or spirits. I mean, maybe he had his own faith. I don't think we ever really even talked about it. Yeah. But he's my dad's former law enforcement rules, regulations, by the book, that kind of a guy. But he had this profound vision of my mom. And I think part of the reason why he had that vision may have been due to his dementia because his mind wasn't working in overdrive all the time. And I've heard, and I don't know if this is true, that I've heard that some people with dementia, it's almost like part of your brain is shut down, but then you have more of a direct connection to the spirit world because there's less filters to filter all that stuff out. Really? I've yeah. Wow. Have you ever heard anything like that? Well, I mean, there's a lot of different theories on that stuff. I mean, uh, but I, I mean, as far as dementia is concerned. I think I asked somebody about it. I think I asked the spiritual healer, kind of this mystical person that I know here in Tucson. And I think that's what she, that's what, that's was her explanation about it. As far as dementia is concerned? Yeah, like when, when the more our mind shuts down, it's almost like we're we're partially here in the physical world, but then we're able to sort of perceive what's going on on the other side of the yeah. veil, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, and, I mean, from a physiological standpoint, that 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 I mean, that makes sense. I mean, I, I chemically, assuming that there is, you know, another side. I mean, I'm open to all different ideas here, uh, and that, but that very well may be the case, though, too. I mean, once your mind starts, you know, I don't know what you think about this, Michael, but a lot of people that I think are considered mentally ill, I think they just have different ideas. Now, I know, now, let me disclaimer that very quickly. I know there are people that are considered mentally ill that are a danger to themselves, and they're a danger to society, and I, I understand that. But I think some people uh, have different ideas or they may see things differently, if you know what I'm saying. 
They may, I agree. They may in the to, indigenous communities, they were raised to be shaman. Yeah, I, I think these people have different ideas. They were they were they were exposed to different things sometimes, and even if you tell somebody you saw a UFO, I mean, I think nowadays, I think it's starting to become a little bit more accepted. But just ten years ago, if you said to somebody, uh, "I saw a ghost," or "I saw a UFO." A lot of people are going to be doing the little whirly thing next to your, you know, next to their head to you saying, oh, well, you're yeah. crazy. Cuckoo. Because that's been, it's been stigmatized over many, many years that this is something that not normal, people who are not normal should be seeing. Like, you're not normal if you're talking about this stuff. And that's why a lot of people we've met in our travels over all these years, we've talked to, they're like, I, I'm afraid to talk to people about this because I'm afraid that they'll think that I'm crazy. And they'll label me that I'm crazy or something like that. And I don't, I think going back to your father, I mean, obviously they're, they're with dementia and things like that. That's a, that's a problem with the brain too. That may you, that may very well open you up to things that you normally, before you weren't opened up to. One of the things we talk about a lot here, and we, we bring this up a lot on the show is the fact that and I always use the example of when I was younger, and I got scared of the boogeyman or ghosts in my bedroom. My parents immediately ran into the bedroom and said, Scott, there's no ghosts. There's no go- you know, go- goblins, whatever you want to say. There's nothing, nothing like that exists. You're safe in your bedroom and you're okay, which is class A parenting right there, in my opinion. Like, that's like you're doing everything perfect. That's, what, that's, that's doing the job. However, I think over doing that over a number of years, that builds up these filters in your brain where... Now that I am out there on, we're all on this adventure now trying to experience and see things maybe that are out of the norm. I think I still have those filters in my brain that were put there many years ago. And maybe it takes something like a chemical imbalance or something, or something like dementia to open your mind back up where you, you, like you said before, where you're closer to the spirit world, right? So, I mean, I agree. Th- th- there's a lot of ways to look at that. I, I, I but I think mental health especially nowadays i think a lot of people are labeled you know mentally unhealthy or whatever you want to say uh and i think they just have different ideas about things they're they're productive people and they're just being mislabeled basically so i mean to your point though to to that idea that question i think that makes perfect sense uh i think that your father may have a, a closer connection uh, given what you know the situation that he you know he's in right uh, have you ever seen a spirit or a ghost yourself or as amber amber why don't you go ahead i don't i can't say that i've seen something with my physical eye i've i've experienced things that i can't explain like um i guess i should say we've like we've saw these strange balls of light moving through the tombstones when we were in cape cod but I, nothing like a human-shaped form. Um, I've had interesting dreams that I think I've had visits from people in dreams, but then that goes with ta- you know having a different mind state or mental state that makes you more open to things. Uh, but no, I have not had the luck or pleasure of actually seeing something awesome with my own eyes. I saw the same lights that Amber mentioned when we were in Cape Cod. We all saw that, which was that was pretty wild. But as far as seeing, like, to your question, seeing a ghost, I had never seen anything like what I would consider, like, a human thing or a human-shaped si- well, human thing in front of me that I would be like, oh, I, my goodness, that's, that's 
of spirit. I take that back. Uh, Felt Mansion back in the day, um, which is a historic mansion in Saugatuck, Michigan. Uh, we were doing ghost tours through there, and we did see what they call shadow people. And, and so that they were in the shape of a person, and it was just uh, blacker than black. That's the only way I can describe them. And they it appeared on video, and it looked like it was cleaning, like, but is that like a, a broom. Is that considered a ghost, though? <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, I, I don't know. That would be the closest thing I've ever seen to, like, a traditional... Like, oh, a human-shaped something. Because I've seen shadow people, too. Okay. I've, I've seen those all. I mean, that, and that's, when I was very young, I saw shadow people. Um, I think, but I don't think it's just. I don't know. They could be something yeah. totally different. But, yeah. To your question, Michael, I don't think it's just limited to, to seeing a, a ghost. I've felt things. We've heard things, too, that we can't explain. I think it's, it's a matter of all of your senses when it comes to, you know, working in this stuff, I guess, um, seeing one. Yeah. I think, I think the Holy grail is, is, is seeing something like that. Um, I think the Holy grail would be interacting with something like that. That would be the Holy grail, I guess. But I think there's other senses involved here too, where, um, you, I, I've, I've felt things run up my leg. I mean, as clear as day. I'm like, that's really strange. And we've recorded things, that we can't explain also are they are they absolute 100 percent conclusive proof of the afterlife i wouldn't consider them that but i do think they're peculiar so to your question i think i i mean i think there's a lot of ways to experience these things um like i it's said it's interesting yeah. it's interesting why is that i mean it's interesting to uh, it's interesting to when when you experience those things it becomes interesting it's out of the it's out of the norm yeah or for what we usually experience. So you would go, hey, what is that? What is that? And I wonder if there's more of that out there. So I can see why you would be interested in such a thing. Well, I've always yeah. been interested in these things ever since I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. I used to read books about the near-death tube and what happens after we die and ever since I was a child. and uh, But I've never myself experienced any sort of I don't know, paranormal activity outside of ceremonies in South America. And yeah. I asked my shaman friend, I go, is this stuff real? Like, I mean, you have your open eyes and then you see forest spirits and spirits flying across the sky, like these black spirits flying back and forth. Like it's and he goes, yeah, it's about 10% real, but 90% of it is just your, your mind, things coming up from your subconscious playing yeah. tricks on you. Well, I mean, when it comes to this stuff, though, too, I think there's a lot out there that we need to try to learn as people, which we very well may never learn when it comes to just the weirdness of things. I don't think yeah. it's all just ghosts. I mean, we talked about synchronicity, which I am. It's one of my pet subjects that I'm absolutely fascinated and obsessed with. Uh, there's a lot that happens out there. There's a lot of little things that happen, and that goes right back to what I said before of if there's anything I've learned studying this stuff over the years is simply just pay attention. Pay attention yeah. at all times because weird stuff is always happening around you. And if you're, obviously, if you're not paying attention, you're not, you're not going to see it or experience it. Uh, it's, I, I equate it a lot to herpetology, which is you know, uh, people that go out into the field, and, and I, I have a thing for, for snakes. Uh, People go out into the woods and they look for snakes and not and for the and for the only reason not to collect them or not to, you know, take them and eat them or what or hunt them or anything like that. Simply just to go out there and observe them. 
right? Like, yeah. like you know, the, the TV shows. Go out there and observe. Uh, That's what we used to do when we were kids in the Arizona desert. Oh, God. Yeah, I would observe that from afar. <laughs> Anything out there. <laughs> but, I mean, the, the idea with that, though, is it's the same idea. You're in the middle of the woods, and whatever you're looking for, you have to really be paying attention because these, I mean, those animals, for example, they're masters of camouflage. They blend right into their surroundings, so it's very difficult to pick them up. So you have to be paying attention at all times and be frosty and be aware or you're not going to see anything or experience anything. It's the same exact idea. Um, and it goes, and it just keeps fly, fo- floating back into that same idea. I think people are distracted. And that's the yeah. reason people aren't paying attention. And I think that's the reason people don't do deeper thinking or think about things or this introspection that we've been talking about. I, I think a lot of this stuff is just from this simple idea. And it's, it's, it's funny, Michael, because this is a reoccurring topic that keeps popping up on this show. Uh, I, I hope I'm not forcing it, but it's something that keeps coming up. This idea like, you know, there's so much out there, but it seems like people are just very preoccupied nowadays, more so than in any time of our history. It seems like there's just this level of disconnect with the world I around agree. us. Um, we're, we're as connected as we've ever been in one way. I yeah. mean, obviously, with, through our, through technology, we're as connected as we've ever been. But at the same time, I think... Uh, I've heard people say the same thing where we're, we're more disconnected though, as people. Uh, yeah. It, it, we're it, living our lives through, uh, social media. Yeah. And Pat and I talked about this on our podcast. It was a long time ago and I actually did some research in 2012. They noticed there's always these trends, intergenerational trends. And then in, in 2012, there was this spike that was different than any other generation. And that's the generation of kids that are growing up now. And there was a spike in depression, suicide, social isolation. And they were trying to figure out what is the spike from, and they cross-correlated it to multiple variables. And then they figured out that that was the year that 50% of the American households had cell phones. Wow. I think with social media today, especially, I think the competitiveness that's come that, that that it's become, I think there's a lot of uh, literature on this now with the social media idea where we both know this, Michael, a lot of what people put up on social media about themselves is what they want to project to people that to make them think this is who this person is. This is this happy, popular, fun, goofy, cool person. That's like totally awesome in every way whatsoever. Uh, the reality with a lot of people is that's not the case at all. That's just that's just what they're projecting. It's very easy to shoot a picture and capture a moment. Uh, but I, I and a lot of the literature I read circles around that very idea that it, it becomes a competitive thing. And we see that now. Well, I have more followers than you do or whatever it might be. And you see this competitive thing and you have all the, I mean, you have people that literally have, have born their celebrity as a result of social media. They're celebrities for nothing more than being on social media and having a lot of people follow them on whatever platform it might be. That's true. That's the age that we live in. Which blows my mind because we go, that goes back to this idea that we're talking about, about creating and producing things. And yeah. And, and this is not to gripe about things, but I find it really interesting too. 
that it seems just like 10 years ago, it, well, maybe let's just say as of late, it seems like uh, some people are, are able to become famous, which at least on my side, that's not what I'm interested in doing, but uh, it's fun. It's fun and interesting to watch people become famous for the weirdest reasons. Uh, I mean, a person can become famous and have all this weird stuff happen to them for simply just recording a video of something that goes viral, what they say now, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are, you know, being revered as something when they're not really doing anything. And I mean, that's not to, I'm not trying to come off spiteful or angry, but it's like, well, what are you doing? And I've, I've, I've listened to people talk about this, you know, like the same idea, like, what are they doing? I mean, why are they, why are they able, why are they going to a college to speak to people? I've seen this happen before where they'll bring people to a college and it's like, well, this person hasn't done anything. They haven't created anything. All they did was take some pictures of themselves with their cell phone camera and put it up on social media. What do they know about life? What do they know about things? And that's not saying that these are bad people though, either. It's just, there's a different idea of, I guess what creating is nowadays to me, I, I, and I'm trying to make sense of this. If I'm, if I'm flying all over the place, I apologize. But I think what we talked about before, I, which I find very interesting is just that, like, are you producing anything? Are you working on anything? Are you putting any work or any sweat into anything? Is that what you're doing? Or it seems like that's not what people have to do anymore. It seems like. Steven Pressfield. Have you ever heard of him? No, I haven't. You, if you have not read this book, I suggest that you read it. Buy it immediately from Amazon and okay. then start reading it. And I think it's on audiobook too. He's the one that wrote the screenplay for The Legend of Bagger Vance. And he talks about the same idea that you're talking about, that we spend our lives comparing ourselves to other people and basically just spinning our wheels, doing basically nothing examining other people's lives, binging and getting addicted to whatever, when, when in actuality, it's all just this force of resistance that's keeping us from creating something. It's the funny thing in this competitive aspect I mentioned, as of late, I, I don't know why this has just been going through my head. It's just been, it's been this thought that's been flying around my brain a lot. And it's just simply one phrase and that's we're all going to make it we're all going to do great you know it's just we're all going to make it we're all going to do great i play music i'm a musician too and ever since i was a kid and i started playing music i've always noticed there was always a competitive aspect between between bands and whatever that i've experienced in our little circles of bands and stuff like that and it hasn't changed uh, uh, 30 years later it hasn't changed at all but the more I go down this road with that, at least I keep saying that that thing, you know, we're all going to make we're all going to make it. We're all going to be all right. We're, we're, or a variation of that. Just we're all going to make it. We're all going to do great. Uh, and that that removes once you accept that idea and take that into your heart, I think. All that crap just goes away. All yeah. that all that resistance you're talking about and all that pain because it's pain. It, it, I think it's painful. I've been through it before. I've been jealous before. I've yearned. I'm like, I want to be that person. Why? You know, I want to be that. And it, it's painful. It hurts. It's 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 a desire that you have that you can't fulfill, and it hurts. Uh, but once you accept the fact, like, 
look, we're all going to, we're all here for the, you know, like you said, we're all here for the, you know, the same story. I think we have the same reasons for being here. We all have different paths, but we have the same reasons, I think. And whatever it may be you're doing, you know, I think we're all going to make it. We're all going to be doing great at whatever we're doing and quit worrying about stay. I mean, it's that it's, it's a, it's a common phrase. Now stay in your lane. <laughs> I mean, just yeah. stay in your lane, man. Don't worry about it. Don't just worry about do it. Your thing. Yeah, do your thing. I tell that to my boy all the time. Yeah. You do your thing. You don't have to show off. You don't have to prance around. Just do your thing and let your performance speak for yourself. You don't have to compare yourself to anybody. Yeah. You compare yourself to yourself. And if you want to be happy in this life, then you keep working towards something. Yeah. Because progress equals success and progress equals happiness. And here's here's the bottom line. And he gets sick of me when I when I tell him this. <laughs> everybody helps everybody. That's how you you help yourself by helping other people. And that's what we do in podcasting. That's why I, that was one of the re, the really happy, reassuring moments I found out from ho- podcasting is you you get a hold of some of these big time podcasters and they go, hey, will you come on my show? And they go, yeah, no problem. Yeah, because they're not competing against each other everybody's trying to help everybody everybody's going to do great oh yeah and that's the way I, I think it comes with age too it's it's a maturity thing i think when you are young you do have that competitive aspect i think i think that can be healthy at, in certain situations you know yeah i think, I think in, it drives in athletics you. and things like that yeah. it's important to be competitive that's part of your development yeah it, it drives but in you. life in general everybody helps everybody we're all going to get there yeah I, I think there's a certain grace that you learn over over time and where you get to that point. I, I like to think that I'm at now where it's like, look, with Ghostly Talk, we just do this. We, 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 we like doing what we do and we're not worried about what other people are doing. I mean, as a matter of fact, I like I am worried about what other people are doing. I'm, I'm worried that they're doing good. I'm worried that they're doing is, you know, and having as much fun as we are and doing good is doing as good as we are and what we do. Right. That's what I'm. Yeah. When about. they're doing well, you study them. Yeah. You study what they're doing. Like, God, what are they doing? Maybe maybe there's things that I need to adjust in my life or with my podcast or anything that I'm doing. Yeah. We're always working on our technique. Yeah. And that's, you know, you're always yeah, you're always as as uh, one of my mentors says, just, you know, always working on your game, always fine tuning your game. Yeah. Um, and that, and that's a healthy thing. And that, and I, what you just said too, I think is that's, that's brilliant. You know, progress equals success. And that really is what equals success when you're, you know, doing any type of thing. I mean, even doing a podcast like this, it can be a grind sometimes it, it can be hard on you. But I said this recently on this show, I'm like, yeah, there's some, it, it can be hard sometimes, but what always makes it worth it is when the thing's done and I finish up the show and we, we get it out there and people enjoy it. That's what, you know, that's what progress is to me for this thing. I agree. And the, the other cool thing about it is you meet really cool people that you never would have had a conversation with otherwise. Oh yeah. Totally. Like you, <laughs> we never yeah, would have had this conversation. Same here. Yeah. We never would have had this conversation if it wasn't just for some chance emails back and forth. Um, and I think, yeah, all these ideas we talked about, um, they're fundamental. You know, and it, the thing I keep saying to people is it's taken me all these years. I mean, well, not all these years, but of studying the afterlife and the paranormal, which really got me focused on real life, though, too. Yeah. Um, it took me a lot of time, a lot of time to study the afterlife to understand how real life works. And I think. 
that those two things are they're, they're obviously they're they're related. They're married together. Uh, you know, if if you if there is as some, above, so below. Yeah, exactly, exactly, man. And I think it's as important when you're studying the paranormal to study real life along with that and see how it relates to your life and how you may be able to learn from that. And I think that's what, you know, all these ideas we talked about tonight, that's kind of what this whole thing revolves around is just that like, yeah, there's a passion you have, but just, it don't need to be some mechanical thing you do for fun. It can help make you, you know, help you grow and become a better person. What practical applications can I glean from this thing, whatever I'm looking at, whatever I'm interested, whether it's history, the paranormal, UFO research, whatever you're looking at, Native American history, shamanism, what practical applications can I apply to my life so that I can live a better life right now and go through my life? with with joy and gratitude and appreciation and awareness and clarity ghostly talk <laughs>